Well, hey, good morning, Center Church. Good to see you. I'm out of the baby cave and I'm with adults again. This feels good. Really good to be here. Man, thank you, uh, team, for leading us so well. That was beautiful. Um, I'm really thankful for that. Um, anyway, yeah, as you know, um, so many of you have prayed and supported and cheered us on. So we uh, officially welcome Eden Louise to our family a couple weeks ago, and she is amazing. She's super fun. And uh, you're probably not going to hear her because she just sleeps all the time. I don't know if you've had a newborn. That's all she's doing right now. So it's pretty fun. But I was thinking about a couple weeks ago because um, it's been since I wasn't here uh, since Easter. And I just want to kind of circle back to that as a church and just say, man, praise God for all that he did this past Easter. Uh, if you were here, it was electric. I mean, the Holy Spirit was at work and moving. People were uh, recommitting and surrendering their lives to Jesus uh, it was amazing. It was one of our highest attended Easter's in a really long time. It was just fun to be here and to be a part of it. Like, I, I really wanted to have a daughter, but I also really wanted to be with you. So it's cool that we got to do it right after. Uh, I just celebrate all that God did this past Easter here at Center and just like, the team and all the volunteers that pulled it off. Incredible. Uh, the second thing is in the spirit of babies, uh, May 14th, we're doing something called child dedication. We do this once or twice a year. And it's a way for us to really dedicate our children to the Lord and to say, as a church, we're going to stand behind parents and guardians and families as they raise kids up. And so if you know of a family member or maybe you have kids and you want to be a part of that, please let us know today. We want to make sure we're prepped in both services for that. And uh, you can contact anybody at the center kids table on your way out, or you can just grab one of us on staff and we'll try to get you the right information. So if you have a second, you got somebody close to you, just turn next to them and say, I'm ready to hear from God. Just turn to somebody right now, three, two, one, to say, I'm ready to hear from God. I'm ready to hear from God. We already have, but I'm uh, excited for today. Now, here's the funny part, because uh, I believe that's true. I believe I came in this morning with that expectation. We were going to hear from the Holy Spirit and, and from what God wants to say to us. But I was thinking about this. So a couple weeks ago, we're in the delivery room. Process is going well. Lindsay's a champ. Things are happening. We're getting ready. The baby's born. Eden's amazing. She's healthy. We got to hang out with her. And then as soon as all that was done, everybody was healthy. Everybody was safely arrived here on planet Earth. We were like... We are exhausted. We are so tired, you know. So, so immediately one of the nurses probably picks up on this. She's like, you know, you can send her to the nursery if you want. Like, you don't have to keep her in your room the whole time. And we're like, heck yes. We did that with Lennon like for an hour. We were such good first parents. We're like, oh, man, she's so cute. We don't can't imagine sending her off to somebody else. And then we're like, how long will you keep her? <laughs> Is there like an expiration on the nursery time? Uh so we sent her down there, and she got good sleep because she's a newborn. Newborns need sleep. This is her kind of hanging out. And Lindsay's body, my wife, as she has a baby, those people need to recover too. It's like she really needs sleep. So when they said, do you want to send Eden down to the nursery? We're like, yes, definitely. It was like this divine gift from the Lord. <laughs> like, oh, I can do that. I forgot. It's only been two years, but I kind of forgot about that. So we shipped her off. And, and so we get back home. What was the most frustrating thing about having Eden at home was we don't have a nursery. We don't have a nursery staff. And no, no like, random residents bringing me ice water all the time either. Like, it's totally different than being in the hospital. And so I, I was just trying to relearn all those things. And here, here's what I know. Here's my point. Here's what is true about us spiritually as we come to prayer, as we talk about the Lord's Prayer. When we ask Lord, teach us to pray, here's the deal. That our greatest need and God's greatest gift are the same thing forgiveness of sins. 
That's where we're going today. We're talking about what does it mean to lean into this line of the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 6, 12, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. And that, that is what Jesus tells the disciples they should pray. He instructs them. He teaches them and says, if you want to pray like me, if you want to have a growing prayer life like I have, you need to pray, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. But before we go into all that, I got to make a confession to you. I don't really want to preach this sermon. I don't really want to preach this one. You know why? Because this is the form and type of prayer I am the worst at. I just am bad at it. My confession today is I don't like confessing. (laughs) I don't like having to come to the Lord and acknowledge that I have sin in my life and that I need to be forgiven. You don't need to be forgiven if you don't think you have sin. You don't need to be restored if you think that your life is good. You don't need the Lord to come in and heal you or free you if you don't have anything going on. Like that, so the the actual reality of confessing prayer is that there are still things in my life that are broken and sinful that I need to be healed and freed and rescued from. So as I sat on my couch last night at like nine o'clock wondering, should I even preach this one? Should I talk about something else? Should I preach a series on giving or sex or something easier? You know, like what else should I talk about? I felt like the Lord just kept saying, you need to go back to this one. You need to look at it with fresh eyes. You look at it in a different perspective. And so that's what we're gonna try to do. So if you have a Bible, go to Matthew 6, or if you have a phone, pull it out, Matthew 6. You'll see the whole text of the Lord's prayers right in the beginning. And the line we're kind of honing in on is Matthew 6, verse 12. Now, forgive us our debts. When you pray that, it's kind of like you saying to, uh, if you ever had a mortgage or you've taken out a loan for something, praying forgive us our debts is a little bit like you writing your mortgage lender or your bank and saying, hey, I'm spiritually in a good place would you mind forgiving like $200,000 that's left on my mortgage? What do you think about that? That is what it's like praying to an eternal God to forgive us our debts. Because the language here is financial. And we understand this, right? We're, this, this connects even first century Israel to today. When you have a massive debt, if someone wrote you a letter and said, hey, would you just forgive this debt for me? All of us are gonna probably say, heck no, I'm not doing that. I need the money. And God is saying, when you pray, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors, you are writing to someone who you have a debt against. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all broken God's moral standards for life. And yet he invites us to pray, forgive us our debts. Why would he do that? And that's the question we're gonna explore for the next few minutes. So first, let's talk about our greatest need greatest need and God's greatest gift. Our greatest need is is forgiveness. Why? Because we've sinned. We just said that. We sin. G.K. Chesterton, famous philosopher, put it this way. Sin is the only part of Christianity that can really be proved. It's the only part because no one, doesn't matter if you're atheist or you follow Jesus for decades, no one disagrees that there are things in your life, things in mine that are not how they're supposed to be. They're the opposite in, in our kind of Christian language of God's best for us. And that's why we pray for forgiveness. Now, here's the deal. 
You, you can look at the scripture story and you can see Jesus' life sinless and perfect. Jesus did not need to confess. Let's be really clear. He's teaching disciples how to pray, not himself how to pray. Jesus didn't need to confess, but he knew that we have an intrinsic need to confess. We need to be forgiven. We need to recognize and name things that are wrong in our lives. And one of the most inspiring characters on this type of prayer is King David. Peter read a verse from Psalm 51 earlier, and I just want to look at this prayer for a moment. But David is writing in Psalm 51. And before we read his prayer, let me give you a brief preface. You never heard the name David. You have no idea what I'm talking about. David was a man after God's own heart. That's what he's called in the scriptures, a man after God's own heart. This same man after God's own heart lied, cheated, raped, murdered, and abused his authority multiple times in his, in his life, in his leadership. Why would, why would David be a person we should even look at? Well, I want, to, I want to look at this prayer for a moment. I'll tell you why he's important. This is what he writes, Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. I've done what's evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot Create a me... Do you get the point? David is not pretending like he didn't do something wrong. David is clear. These 12 verses, this beautiful prayer that he sinned, he messed up, and he is in need of forgiveness. He prays, create in me, God, a clean heart. This is the spirit. This is what it means to pray uh, confessing prayers. And honestly, I mean, I look at our world, I look at our church, even my own life, like confessing prayer is the most undervalued, underpracticed part of prayer in the Western church, no question. And that's true in our church too, every single one of us. This is probably an area for us we rarely ever dabble when it comes to prayer. Why? Because it admits that we are broken and flawed and sinful, and I don't like that, and neither do you. And David is saying that's the key to a clean heart. The key to a clean, pure heart is confession in prayer before the Lord. So if you had to kind of define what is confessing prayer, like what are you talking about? I'd boil it down to two parts, and they're both important. The first part is God searching us. David prays in another Psalm, Psalm 139, God search me and know me. See if there's any sinful thing in my life. Like you get to open up the, my chest cavity, and you get to look in and see, is there something messy? Is there something broken? Is there something off, something wrong? Search me and know me. But the second part is where we stop. Like we may get to the point in our spiritual lives where we say, search me and know me. But when it comes to the place of the second part, we, we kind of step back and we hesitate. The second part is we have to name our own sin. You cannot confess merely kind of in the abstract, 
just between you and God, it's kind of all floating around in your head. You're like, I'm not really sure what I did wrong, but I just know I did something wrong. You have to say, here is what I did wrong. David says this. In other places, he is confronted with specific sin around Bathsheba, and on the heels of that, this is how he prays in Psalm 51. He notices, he notes, I've got transgressions, I've got iniquities, I've got sin, I've got brokenness. There's not many more ways you can define sin. I mean, he just lays them all out. He says, I've got all these, and I need to be cleansed. I need to be cleaned up by the Lord. Searching and naming. Another way to phrase this would be confession is agreeing with whatever God finds sinful in you. Confession is saying, yep, you're right. You caught me. I've been found out. I'm exposed. You've searched me and you know me and here's what you found. I agree. I agree. That's in me. If you don't get to that place, you will never truly confess. And if you don't get to that place, you will never truly experience what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples to learn about prayer. You will stop so far short of what prayer truly could be in your life. About a year ago, year and in, in, in some change, it, I, I was at a men's retreat, a gathering of all four of our Zero Collective churches up north. We're up there, we're doing this. And kind of like this message, I was like, I don't really want to go to men's retreats because I know at men's retreats, you got to talk about the real stuff. I don't want to do that. I'd rather stay home or rather watch sports or whatever. I just don't want to go. I was trying to find reasons. Finally, the Holy Spirit was just like, it was unavoidable, John, you need to go. So it's like, all right, I'll, I'll cut you half. I will go to half of it. So I went to half of it. I went to the second day of this retreat and I get there. And the first session is about hiding your sin. I was like, awesome. I'm so glad I didn't skip the, uh, this one. You know, like in my head, I'm like, shoot, I should have came even later. So I, I'm sitting down, this person who, who you know was talking about some, some broken areas of his life and sharing very openly about them, very vulnerably, as Peter talked about. He was kind of sharing places in his walk with God, he'd had to confess things. And at the end of it, he literally says, okay, so here's what we're gonna do. You, there's probably 150 guys in the room. He's like, I know you don't know everybody. Whoever you're sitting next to, I want you to turn next to them and pray and confess something to them. <laughs> I was like, I'm definitely going to get in my car right now. <laughs> like I, I'm gonna, I, it took everything in me not to fake having to go to the bathroom. You know, like I just was like, I don't want to sit here. I don't even know this dude. So I'm sitting in the back next to this guy. I barely know, barely knew his name. And, and we just prayed for each other. Took a couple minutes, prayed for each other, and confessed some things in prayer to one another that were broken and sinful in our lives. And after that was done, I was like, man, I'm so glad I came. I'm so glad I did that. But that wasn't the, the only step I needed to take. I had to go home and I said, Lindsay, I just want to share some things that I think are getting in the way of us having a better marriage. And they're things that are sinful about me. They're things that are broken in my life. And I want to share them with you. And so I sit down on the bed and we have this incredibly important conversation. We're going back and forth. And it was beautiful. Like our marriage is in a better place because of that conversation a year ago. But that conversation was not the beginning. The beginning was confessing prayer. It was saying, there are things, there are debts I have that need to be repaid, that need to be forgiven. Jesus, will you forgive those debts? 
Will you forgive that sin? Will you clean up my life? Let me just talk if you're a guy in the room. If you're a guy like me, as a man, as a man, I, I just believe this. It's not our ability to perfectly hide our sin or appear as if we don't struggle with sin anymore. It's not that. It's not our ability to make us look honorable or, or perfect that, that pleases God or makes us a good dad or makes us a good husband, makes us useful in the church or even the kingdom of God. It's precisely the opposite. It's the broken, contrite spirit. It's the ability to be weak before the Lord. It's a heart to surrender. It's a recognition that you do fail and that you do sin and that you need healing, you need freedom, you need forgiveness. Friends, that's what makes us useful in the kingdom of God. That honesty is what God can work with. That applies to women too. I'm just just calling us out as guys because we do this. We look composed, we try to be strong. We are taught from a very young age that to be weak is to fail. And that's not what David says. And if you ask Jesus hanging on a cross, I don't think he would say that either. And he teaches his disciples to pray, forgive us our debts. Why? Because our greatest need and God's greatest gift are the same thing, forgiveness. Forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of our sin. Now, because I haven't been with adults that long, I thought we could do a little crowd participation. All right, so I'm just kind of feeling in the mood. It's 9.44 a.m. We're a little bit awake at this point. Uh, I'm just feeling good. I've been up for like seven hours or something. I'm not exactly sure, to be honest. Uh, but I, I, I do have a big question for you. This is not spiritual, but we'll, we'll get somewhere with it, I promise. Any guesses on the world's most expensive toilet? I'm serious. This is, we're doing this in church, okay? If you're online, just stay where you are. Like, world's most expensive toilet. Any guesses, just shout them out. If you actually have a number in mind, just, I want to hear it. 25,000, okay. Anybody higher, lower? 200,000, okay. Anybody else? Two million, all right. I like that. Anybody else? One million? Okay, you're, you're backing off him a little bit. Okay, gotcha, okay. Two million is just too far. I can't believe you said that. One million, reason, one million reasonable, but two million, no, definitely not two. The world's most expensive toilet costs $23 million. Got your back. Got your back. I'm here for this guy. $23 million. Created by NASA in 2020. This is the most sophisticated, technologically advanced toilet. Why? Because you don't want to go number two in a place where there's zero gravity. Okay? That's why it's $23 million. $23 million. Now, here's the thing. I could show you pictures. I mean, I looked it up. I was like, I can't even believe this is real. I mean, the, the thing looks like it, a robot. Like, I don't even, yeah, I just understand. You can Google it later. $23 million. Here's the deal. That toilet is useless if it is not connected to plumbing to expel the waste from the space station. You feel me? If you don't believe me, shut your water off for a few days and let your kids go nuts. You know, like, you will find out. Plumbing matters. Running water to expel the plumbing out of your house really, really matters. Some of you maybe already got where I'm going, right? If you do not have a place to confess sin, you are like that toilet. (laughs) That's what you're like. Sophisticated, beautiful, tons of potential in the kingdom of God, and yet disconnected. I'm going to get you back. Don't worry. We're going to get back. 
disconnected from the kingdom of God and not having a place to confess, that's what you are like. That's what I am like. It requires, we need a place. It doesn't matter how perfect you think your life is. You and I need a place to be honest and real before the Lord who already knows everything anyway. We need to be able to pray, search me and know me prayers. We need to be able to pray, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven those who have debt against us and against the Lord. See, that's what made David a man after God's own heart. His willingness to come clean before the Lord and pray an honest prayer. I have sinned, I have transgression, I have hurt people, harmed people, assaulted people, taken advantage of my leadership. I've done a lot of things that disqualify me from leading. God, would you make me clean again? Would you create in me a clean heart again? That's, that's the power of David's prayer. That is why, friends, Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that's not even to mention that the condition is if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven either. <laughs> that's, we're not even going there today, but that's what the, the prayer says. There's power in our need to be forgiven. So that's our greatest, greatest need. Let's talk about God's greatest gift. Let's talk about God's greatest gift. If they're the same thing, our need and his gift are the same forgiveness, then there are certainly implications for us to understand at a deeper level with more revelation what it means to be forgiven by our God, to be forgiven, to recognize that the cross is not for some spiritually elite group of people, but it's for you and it's for me. Let's talk about God's greatest gift. I shared this with some of you, and some of you have kind of done this in the past, I'm sure, where you set some kind of like physical or health goal for the new year. I decided to pick this one. So January 15th, I started what is kind of coined as uh, phrase is 75 hard. And it's hard because that's, and you do it for 75 days. Really creative name. <laughs> 75 hard. So here's what you have to do. Follow a diet, zero cheat meals, work out twice a day, at least 45 minutes. One of those this is January in Michigan, has to be outside, drink a gallon of water, read 10 pages of nonfiction, and take like a body progress picture every single day, okay? So that's what I decided to do starting January 15th up until basically the, the week of Easter. I was like, I'm gonna do this. I need to get back on track. There's some habits I've just like gotten way out of control with. So I start going through this list. Workout twice a day, can do. I can make it happen. Drink a gallon of water, that wasn't that hard. Read 10 pages, that wasn't that hard. Uh, trying to figure out, like, how am I going to stick to the certain diet and, and live in those limits, that actually wasn't that hard. You know what the hardest part of that dang 75 hard challenge was? Taking a selfie every day. That was the hardest part. <laughs> I hate taking pictures of myself. And I can't even imagine having to do it for 75 days, and yet that's a challenge. You got to take your shirt off and face the mirror. So, so I start this challenge, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do it. Like, I've got kind of a checklist I'm going through. I make it about 19 days. I wake up on the 20th day, and here's what happens. I wake up, and I go through my mental checklist. Okay, did I do all these things yesterday or not? I'm looking through, and I realize, shoot, I didn't take a progress picture. And if you fail any one of the elements at any point, the challenge is done. No forgiveness, no grace. It's like, you're done. You got to start it all over again. And so 
uh, because I like to bend the rules, I was like, well, I'm just going to keep going. No one has to know. So I just kept going. And I did 75 days of all the other stuff. But I was trying to think about why did that bug me so much? Like, it's just a picture. Like, it's not a big deal. And I think the reason is the same reason I don't like confessing prayers. I had to face reality. Every single night, I had to take my phone out, take a picture, stare at myself in the mirror for at least 10 seconds and see where am I at. And that's one of the reasons that confessing prayer can be such a healing agent to our soul because it allows us to get back in touch with reality. I don't want to face reality. I need God's forgiveness, so I just don't confess. And Jesus is saying, if you want to pray like I do, you have to pray, forgive us our debtors. See, many of us, and I'm just convinced of this the longer I'm around, many of us never truly experience the reality of God's forgiveness because we've never truly confessed. We've not gotten honest long enough. We've not given out, expelled that last 10% ever. And so we never truly feel forgiven. We never truly feel loved. We never truly feel seen because we haven't prayed, search me, know me, forgive us our debts. And Jesus in this prayer is just in a beautiful way saying, yeah, you know that shame you carry for the affair? Just bring that to me. You know that vape pen that you can't put down? No one really knows it's like a habit you have, but it's become an addiction. Just bring that to me. The hurt and resentment you feel from that family member getting another DUI, you can bring that to me. That verbal assault you kind of unloaded on him the other day, you, you can bring that hurt, that rage, that broken marriage, you can bring it to me. And if confessing prayer is anything, it's God saying that, God, you can bring it to me. See, our greatest need and God's greatest gift are the same thing, forgiveness of sin. Pete Gregg puts it this way. He writes, you cannot be too bad, too broken, or too boring for God's unconditional love, only too proud to acknowledge how desperately you need it. Ask and you will receive. Ask and you will receive. And so I just want to kind of flip this to all of us to wrestle with today. Because there may be situations in life, there may be a, a thing, a person, a name, a, maybe a situation already today that God is stirring and saying, I want you to bring that to me. And you feel all sorts of hesitation. You feel all sorts of like, clamming up, defending yourself, saying, it's not that bad, or that's not a sin, or that's not addiction right now. It's just a bad habit, or it's a flaw, or whatever. And there are areas of life that you know, if you felt safe enough and protected enough, you would go all the way. You would say, all the way, God, I'm going to have a Psalm 51 moment with you and just lay it out there. And if you're willing to do that, God says, I will meet you in that place. Because unfortunately, there are no perfect people. <laughs> Unfortunately, the only people God can work with are people like you and me with all sorts of jacked up sin problems in our lives. And so that means if you bring your real self to God, he will meet you with his real grace. He will meet you with his real forgiveness and mercy and create in you a clean, 
pure heart. I don't like to do this, but I need to do this. And I had to go to that place this last Wednesday. I was sitting here during our prayer room time and I just was sitting here and I was like, man, God just brought up one or two things of like, you're right, you're right. That I need to bring that to you. I've hesitated to bring that to you and I'm gonna bring it to you in prayer. So my question to you this morning would be, do you need to have a Psalm 51 moment with God? Do you need to go there with him today? Do you need to be honest, to be vulnerable? See, we need times and places, even outside of a Sunday morning where we can do this. That's why Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. He doesn't say, wait till you're in the synagogue on Sunday morning at nine o'clock, then confess, just get it all out there. I've got good Catholic friends. This is not a Catholic approach here. This is like all the time, every day, direct access to the Father. That's what he's saying. Forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors means you have access to that grace, that mercy, that goodness, that forgiveness every single moment. And the only thing that's kind of keeping you from having that experience is you. It's me. So do you need that moment today? What I want to do, Lynn's just going to play for a little bit. We're going to sing again. I just want to give us some time. Just give us some time, maybe 30 seconds to a minute long to just say, God, I'm gonna sit here in my seat. I'm gonna sit here online and I'm going to go before you with honesty and vulnerability. And maybe there are things in your life today you just need to confess to him. You don't have to have steps one through five figured out for what happens, but you do have the ability to start the process, to start the journey, to begin taking steps. And so I'm gonna pray for us and just give us some space. Would you join me? as we do. (laughs) Father, in this quiet moment, we just ask, would you create in us a pure heart? Would you renew a steadfast spirit within us? Would you keep us close in your presence and, and remind us of your Holy Spirit's just reality in our life? Would you restore to us the joy of salvation? and grant us a willing, open spirit to hear what you have to say, to search us and to know us, and for us to name our sin to you. Hear us, Lord, we're here for you. We're here for you. Jesus, thank you for your guidance, for your wisdom and your willingness to say, when you open your life to me, I will step in. I will not only expose, but I will heal. I will not only point out the diagnosis, but also do the surgery. So Jesus, it's to that end, we pray, create in us a clean heart, a 
pure heart. Give us the courage and boldness to pray confessing prayers. Not just the 90% that feels comfortable, but the 10% that feels uncomfortable. Help us to go there so we can experience the freedom that you offer. And truthfully, at the end of the day, what we want is you. We want your presence. There's really nothing else that we desire. We are wired, just like we talked about earlier, to worship, to adore, to spend time, to be intimately connected and in relationship with you. And so I pray, God, would you give us that space even now, even as we respond in prayer, even as we sing, God, see our hearts humble and broken before you so that you can, you can rebuild, you can restore. We love you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name.